book of Revelation, chapter 1. Just a couple of verses here that I want to look at tonight concerning the Lord's return. So I'm trying to mix together actually previous thoughts, a couple of different ones from when I went through the book of Revelation three years ago, I believe it was. Three years ago. And on the, the radio ministry that we have between the lower 48 and Alaska, the going through the book of Revelation has by far gotten the majority of our feedback that comes in. It's usually in the book of Revelation that we do get that. But Revelation chapter 1, verse number 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits, capital S, which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, with clouds, excuse me, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your salvation. Lord, we thank you for our church. I pray your protection upon it. Lord, help me to feed your people tonight. I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has truly never been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and for that drawing that perhaps even this evening they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, the book of Revelation is an amazing book. If you've not heard the series on it, it is on our website, YouTube page. You go there, you can go through every single verse in this book. And uh, it really is quite an, quite an incredible book. There's more commentaries written on this book than any other book in the Bible, hands down. It's a book that gets twisted. It's a, it's a book that gets exalted, ignored. It's all across the board when it comes to the book of Revelation. Uh, the, there's this enormous interest that are in it. Even, even today I was looking at different, uh, different social media posts and I came across several from, it was actually lost people from what I could gather. I'm certainly not certain about that. But discussing the book of Revelation, just because of what's going on in the states that they see with the election time, the droughts taking place, and, and, and the book draws interest. And again, I think there's several factors that lead to that. I mean, you can look at the state of the world we're in right now, the humanism, the secularism, the fatalism. Uh, people want to know there's something better. People want to know what's going to happen. And, and, and for the most part, those, with, at least within a Western culture, are aware of the fact that within the Word of God that there is a book still there that deals with what is to come and how all this ends. And that is the book of Revelation. And, and, and Revelation, it is a great book. It, I believe it has probably caused multitudes to turn to Christ for salvation. It reveals, it's a revelation, what is to come. At the time of the writing, it, it was revealing something that has been hidden for 4,000 years by the time John penned it in. It really is, it really is just an incredible book. Um, it is our hope for the Christian. Uh, we look forward to what this book talks about as, as far as what awaits us within this book with great anticipation. 
It's, it's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing for those who actually do read it. It is unique in its message in that it was given to John by an angel. Uh, just think about that. That should get our attention. It's, it's a book that draws such interest because it does deal with the future. It is a book that is misunderstood, misinterpreted, perhaps more than any other book in the Bible. Matter of fact, all the different views that you have today when it comes to end times and when it comes to uh, um, eschatology, well, what's going to happen in the end times? You have different terms you've heard me use in the past from amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, uh, the return of Christ. Much is determined how you draw that is how you interpret the book of Revelation. There are those who interpret the book from a pre-terrorist point of view, we call it, and they believe it all happened in the past. Back in the time of Rome, the Roman government, it's already been fulfilled, and they need that to take place because of how they view eschatology. They can't have this be literal. They can't have this be true because of what they teach about the future doesn't come close to lining up with this book. So they teach there's hidden meanings dealing with the book of Rome, uh, that are uh, dealing with the government of Rome, excuse me. But that, of course, is there's no way that that is assuming much. You always interpret the Bible grammatically, literal, historically, uh, when it comes to the Word of God, unless it tells you not to. All right? And then there is a historical viewpoint in interpreting this, and, 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 and that, that this, this view, and I don't mean that in historical, grammatical, literal, that's the right way. This view is a set view in that wording of how some people like to interpret this view, that this, the events here have already occurred throughout all of church history leading up to now. That certainly is not true. This really came into existence when the Protestant movement was taking a stronghold. It was really interpreting the book of Revelation to go anti-Catholic. I'm certainly not for it. The Catholic Church has very much a false gospel. Uh, salvation is not in the church. It's not in transubstantiation. It's not in baptism. But nonetheless, the idea of trying to take the book of Revelation to feed into just an anti-Catholic position certainly was not correct. And then there's what we call, how we would view it, the futurist, and that is believing the book to be literal, that the book is prophecy, it is yet to come to pass, um, but that it certainly will come to pass. This is interpreted from a literal standpoint. And then there's the ever popular, when it comes to the book of Revelation, spiritualizing it spiritualizing it, not interpreting it literal. It looks as the book as an allegory of how good triumphs over evil. Again, they have to have that because of how they view eschatology. But boy, when you go through it and you look at today's events, it gets more and more clear exactly what this book is talking about is exactly what's going to take place. This is what's going to happen. Again, the book is unique for several different reasons. It, it's unique in how often angels are mentioned. We see more of angels' ministry in this book than any other book of the Bibles. Uh, any other book in the Bible. Of the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, you'll find angels in 16 of those chapters. Um, it is the book that does close out the canon of Scripture. It's finished. It's done. There is no new revelation or new testament of Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith would be lying. That is a false prophet. This closed out the canon of Scripture. One pastor, I want to quote his wording uh, on the book of Revelation. I really liked it. I thought I'd put it in here. He said this. 
He said in Genesis, you have the commencement of heaven and earth. In Revelation, you have the consummation of heaven and earth. In Genesis, you have the entrance of sin and the curse. In Revelation, you have the end of sin and the curse. In Genesis, you have the dawn of Satan and his activities. In Revelation, you have the doom of Satan and his activities. In Genesis, you have the tree of life relinquished. In Revelation, the tree of life regained. In Genesis, death enters. In Revelation, death exits. In Genesis, sorrow begins. In Revelation, sorrow is banished. In Genesis, Genesis, paradise is lost. In Revelation, paradise is regained. But most central in Genesis, the Savior is promised. In Revelation, the Savior is preeminent. Very true. Excellent wording how we put that together. So, uh, anyhow, I want to look at a couple of things here dealing with the return of Christ. Make no mistake, He is going to return. When we go through the verses that I read here in verse number 4, uh, we see the greeting that, that John is giving you. John, to the seven churches return, Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him, which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And then in verse 5 goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, when he's talking about Asia here, it's, it's not how we think of Asia today. The matter of fact, the part of the world that he's specifically dealing with in our day today would be modern day would be modern day Turkey. The churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it, what's interesting is, uh, of course, how the number seven is used. There's only seven churches used here, but even in that area, we know there is much more than seven churches. The Church of Colossae and other ones, but it, it simply mentions seven churches. And there, there certainly is reasons for that. Uh, one in how uh, the number seven is used, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but it also what those seven churches typified, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. The, the, the number seven is throughout the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, it's found more in the book of Revelation than any other book in the Bible. Uh, and there's, on, literal, there's only about 400 verses in the book. Uh, we have seven churches. There's seven spirits, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, seven angels, seven eyes, seven crowns, seven thunders, plagues, mountains. There's seven beatitudes, seven years of judgment, seven IMs, seven doxologies. It's throughout the book. Seven is the number of completeness, fullness, perfection, a finishing. We see seven brought the significance for the first time in Genesis chapter 2 when God blessed the seventh day and rested. As in Genesis, seven represents completeness. The same is very true in the book of Revelation. That's why it says such a, such a prominent place within the book. It shows a completeness also of the canon of Scripture, the last book of the Bible. And it addresses these seven churches. And I remember as we went, we went through the book of Revelation, I, I'm so glad I didn't. It would have went against how I normally preach anyhow, but I seriously considered basically running through those churches in one or two messages. And then I said, nope, I'm, I'm just going to go through each one of them. And it was all, almost, probably not, it was probably my favorite part of the study was actually going through from my perspective when I was studying it. You had the church of Ephesus mentioned. This is a solid church in doctrine, but they left off love for God. The love, the true motivation was no longer present. You had the church of Smyrna, which was the suffering church. You had the church of Pergamos, which is a compromising worldly church. You had the church in Thyatira, which was immoral. The church that tolerated sin. Sardis was the dead church. Philadelphia was the faithful church. Laodicea was the apostate church where Christ is on the outside of that church trying to get in. A lot of, and there's been a misinterpretation, I remember I was originally taught this, and I, and I do believe that's a strong misinterpretation of it, is it taught that that was seven different church ages throughout history. 
but that doesn't fit. What I think what it's dealing with here is the seven types of churches that have always existed since the church age began, just like there during the time of Christ. It shows the different types of churches that exist, just like today. You have churches that are suffering. You have churches that are faithful. You have some that are worldly, some that are compromised, some that tolerate immorality. It's, it's, he's describing the seven type of churches that exist. And from there, John goes on to the greeting uh, uh, from God himself to us. He says, from which he is, which was, and which is to come. This is speaking of God the Father, how he is eternal, how he's always been there, how he always will be. That title will be used, is used several more times in the book. And then we have God's Holy Spirit, which is interesting how it's presented here because it says, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And this is dealing with, the, with God's Holy Spirit right here. So the question is, why are there seven? Uh, some like to say, well, this is angels, but that's, that doesn't fit. That's a stretch to throw that in there. It, it's, it's not dealing with seven angels that are sending the greeting. This is dealing with God's Holy Spirit. It has to do, again, with the number seven, a fullness, perfection, a completeness is what it's dealing with right here, as well as, I believe, as what is described to us in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, the sevenfold ministry of the Spirit of God that is given there. So it is simply dealing with God's Holy Spirit. And then we come to verse 5, and it gets into Jesus Christ. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. And I think that's important to understand those statements right there for several reasons. One, the faithful witness. That's speaking, of course, to his incarnation and to his death, both. Him becoming man and to the death of the cross. Let me explain that. Uh, when you're a witness uh, of something, you're there to speak the truth. You're a witness. That's, that's what you're there for. Jesus Christ was the express image of the person of God. He was one who spoke truth. He always spoke what was true. He even said, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. But the word witness is interesting. It is also the exact same word, uh, uh, the root word, the, the Greek word from, that we get the word martyr from. Dying for your faith. So it also speaks to the death of Christ as well. Which ties into what it says next, the first begotten of the dead. First here throws people. I've seen a lot of different people try to discredit the Bible in different ways. It uses the word first in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of them. First here does not mean he was the first one ever raised from the dead. That's not what it's talking about at all. It speaks of his prominence. He is the first. He is preeminent of all those who are raised from the dead. He is first. He's preeminent. That's what it means. It speaks to importance and not of time. That's how it would be addressed. That, that's what that means when the wording is that way. And then it addresses him as the prince of the kings of the earth. And the fact is, he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. All power is given unto him. And you, you see that in the book of Revelation. I, was, I, I, I got thinking about this text again uh, um, last week. I think it was uh, Brother West had texted. He, he must be doing a series on Revelation. Every now and then he'll, he'll text or call with questions when he's studying. And he said, hey, when I get into chapter 4, the, 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 uh, the opening of the, of the seven seals there, he says, am I dealing with a, a title deed to the earth or just in relation to the judgments? And I said, brother, it's, it's not an either or. I said, you're looking at both. I said, that is the title deed to the earth. Uh, but this doesn't deal with a, a normal title dealing with, you know, the dimensions and the size and the boundaries. That's not needed. This is dealing with how he takes it back. 
And that's what the book of Revelation is up going through from chapter 4 on. <clears throat> and then look at this verse here before we get into his return. Look, look at, this, is, this is pretty neat. These three things, I thought about just preaching these three right here. Here's what he does for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto him, number one, that loved us. Number two, that washed us from our sins in his own blood. And number three, and made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now as he dedicates it now to the Lord Jesus Christ, he bases it on three things that he's done for us. Number one, that he loves us. It really is incredible to know of Christ, of God Almighty, of his love for us. And that fed into what he did for us, how he washed us from our sins. Through his own blood, not through anything else. Through his blood. That's, that's not figurative. When he went to the cross, he was shedding his blood. He was literally taking your place in judgment. God the Father was judging him for your sin. Through his shed blood, he was suffering on your behalf. <clears throat> and then he says, not only, did he, not only did he wash us from our sins, but he made us, made us kings and priests. And as we see, we get to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. The priest speaks to our access that we have to him, even right now. Amazing what he's done for us. Really is incredible. And then, verse 7. And this is so true, those first couple of words. Behold, he cometh. Listen, we are 2,000 years removed since Jesus Christ ascended back up to heaven. 2,000 years it's been. It's been quite a while. I don't know when he's coming. I have no idea. Nobody does. You know, you, you, had, the, you had that radio guy at that radio ministry who actually used to believe in a local church going back to the 1980s. I can't think of his name right now. He died a couple years ago. But what threw him off was he got into date setting over and over and over and over, trying to predict when the Lord Jesus Christ would come. I think his very first date was 1988. Uh, 1988, I think then he did go to 1989. He picked a date in the 90s. And then he went all out. I was in New Guinea, I think it was 2007. I mean, he went all out. There was billboards. There was billboards all over the world. I mean, he went all out. He was in his 80s by this time. This is it. I know it. I've got it. And it didn't happen. For the umpteen time. But finally, I, and I listened to it live. I heard he was finally going to repent of all the date setting. Now get this, by the way. He had set the date. It didn't happen. It was either a heart attack or a stroke. Had hit him hard. He came back on the radio one more time. And that was to repent. That was to finally admit, you cannot set a date. Uh, Harold Camping, I think that was the guy's name. Is that Rena Bell? I, th I think that's the guy's name. And uh, you cannot set a date. And you can't. We, we don't know when he's going to return. Matter of fact, date setting is also how, you have the, how the SDA church exists today, by the way. Why you have the Seventh-day Adventist. Did you know that was a split off of a Baptist church? First Baptist church in New York City. The assistant pastor. It was the, the, originally, it was the pastor who set a date. It didn't happen. In back 1842, whatever it was, I don't remember anymore. Set a date. It didn't happen. The pastor repented. His assistant did not. His assistant is the one who ended up with the Ellen G. White connection that was there with her vision and the dream of the fourth commandment elevated above the others of the Sabbath day. 
<clears throat> and that began the seven, uh, the, the, the uh, SDA movement that we still have today, which did go into a false gospel. So the Bible itself, though, talks much about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is coming. I mean, we look around us at the events of the world and, in, in a sense, how small this world is becoming through technology and everything that's taking place, the wars, the rumors of wars, the, 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 the events that we are witnessing are incredible. I mean, look at the incredible immoral decay that the entire world is going through right now. I mean, we are actually living in a day when parents will not even assign a gender to their baby. I watched a news interview this week, just stunned. They're pushing a movement in, uh, is it in Oregon or Portland, I don't know where it is, where, where you should not assign a gender till that child can decide, guess at what age? Four. Four. Who's four years old in here? Do we have any four-year-olds in here? Ethan. And he's out. He didn't even know what date even is. <laughs> but at four... I mean, I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, we've lost our minds. Hi, my name is Pastor McGovern. My pronouns are what? What is wrong with us? But do you understand? There's literally that blinding spirit that is there that people believe, not only that that's right, but that's moral. They shall call good evil and evil good. Little did they know the confusion and the destruction that they're causing in those lives. Christ is coming. It is said that prophecy in the Bible takes up one-fifth of all of Scripture. And of that, one-third of all of the prophecy refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have said there are over 660 prophecies in the Word of God, 333 of those about Christ, 109 filled at His first coming, 224 are yet to be filled concerning His second coming. Of the 46 Old Testament prophets, less than 10 of them speak of His first coming. 36 of them speak of His second coming. There are over 1,500 Old Testament passages that refer in some way to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of every 25 New Testament verses, excuse me, one out of every twi- I cannot talk. One out of every 25 New Testament verses speaks to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. For every one time the Bible mentions the first coming of Christ, it mentions the second coming eight times. For each time the atonement is mentioned once, the second coming is mentioned twice. Jesus referred to his second coming 21 times. Over 50 times the Bible warns to be ready for his return. The Bible doesn't play around with the second coming. There's something about it. He's not coming as a lamb this time. He's coming in judgment. No, I'm sure all of us thought about it. We saw the fear. That's something as simple as COVID that gripped the world. I mean, I mean, true fear. We're not talking made up fear. We're talking people gener- truly afraid. It had less than a 1% death rate. And fear gripped the world. Imagine when these days actually hit. COVID will be like stubbing your toe. 
And so as John starts out this book of this revelation that's given to him by an angel, he goes right to the second coming because that's what the book is about. He says, coming in a cloud. He's not, he's not trying to describe this little serene scene of coming down in a cloud, like we picture a white cloud and harps and all that nonsense. No, no, no. Understand how clouds are used in Scripture. That's what he's referring to. Basically, I don't have time to develop, my time's going faster. The Shekinah glory itself, like when the cloud filled the temple. When they are led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. It's dealing with his glory. Understand the condition. We went through the book of Revelation. We know by the time we got there what this world was like, how decimated it was. When he was ready to return. What that speaks of when he comes, you know what? Every eye shall see him. This world will light up. Here he comes. He's coming. It speaks to his glory. And then it gives two reactions to it. Look what he said. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. That Shekinah glory will hit. And that's not this nonsense you see in charismatic churches with them claiming, we got this Shekinah glory in our service. My goodness. We can be dumber than a box of rocks today. It says, and they also which pierced him, He's speaking here to the nation of Israel. Acts 2, 22 and verse 23. I'm not going to quote it. speaks of Israel piercing him. But much of what takes place during that seven years has much to do with the nation of Israel. They have rejected the Messiah the first time he came. They refused to see that he was in fact the Christ. When he returns and they see him whom they have pierced. They will believe. They will know. He is the one. And then it describes the reaction of the rest of the world. It says, And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And he goes, I know they're wailing even so. Amen. We've went through it. So you, for those who have been here, we went through the seven seals, the seven, uh, uh, the, the seven trumpets, the seven vials. All that the Lord did in judging this earth. All that was so clear. Do you remember the one where the entire world realized what's taking place is from God? Remember that? The great earthquake. The fifth seal, when it opened. Up to that point, they weren't sure what was going on. But at the fifth seal, the entire world knew and will know when it takes place. This is from God. Keep in mind, also during, this, also during the seven years, it will be the greatest revival the world has ever seen. Multitudes will come to know Christ. But multitudes will harden their heart. And when they see him return, coming in judgment, there's nothing they can do. Nothing. He'll come down to this earth. You'll have what Christ talked about. There's different types of judgments. Don't confuse judgments. You come up with wrong theology every time. You'll have the judgment of the sheep and the goats will then take place. 
basically what happens is when he comes in and you go into this millennial reign of Christ, when it starts out, you have a mixture, because we're coming back. We are, we are taken out by Revelation 4, we're gone. The rapture takes place. Those who are saved, God removes before this judgment hits. We are the, have the judgment seat of Christ taking place in our life, the marriage supper of the land. We return with him at the conclusion of the seven years. And so when this begins, it's one of the most interesting times in all of world history, because you will have the only time that will ever take place like this. You have those who are still in... Bodies of death, along with us who have been saved and changed, living together here on this earth. But when it starts out, only those who enter will be those who have trusted Christ during the seven years. They will enter. If not, oh no. But of course, people will marry, and not us. That, that time is done for us. But those who are still of the same body, they will marry and they will have children. That's going to go on for a thousand years. So when they see him and they know it, the wailing takes place as glory hits. Here comes the creator of the universe, the one who's been mocked, the one who has been just rebelled against, hated upon. The, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ should produce two reactions in us as I close. Fear and hope. Fear and hope. Fear in regards to try and motivate us to live right, to purify ourselves. Fear just knowing what's coming. He is, just like he said, behold I mean, he, the, the language is strong there. We talk about that back around. There's, behold, he cometh. It's going to happen. He will return. Are you ready? Are you ready? With heads bowed and eyes closed.